0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses one through nine, and verses 14 through 18. Hear these words. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, knelt before him and said, Lord, Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, Your faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was cured instantly. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks
1: be to God. Would you bow your heads with me as we prepare for this time of our worship? Amen. Cold and clear, the stars stood in three dimensions against the velvet black of the sky. At 2 AM in the morning, a sliver of a horned moon crowned the very cap of the 14,000 foot peak with just a curl of silver. A crease, only a hint of a trail threading between lodgepole pines beckoned us upward. A flashlight would violate the sacred stillness of this moment. We marched in darkness. The night was an uncompromising black upon black. We climbed in the dark, unspeaking, higher and higher, four steps to a breath, now three, now two. Ancient forests of spruce and fir gave way to the prehistory at Timberline of low-growing limber pines. A testament to life struggling for life. A meteor. Craced, it traced its dying signature across the sky. In the darkness, the sheer looming cliff was like a ship's prow knifing through the cold night air, a chill. But now, far to the east, rosy-fingered dawn began its battle against the Stygian shadows of darkness. Light, only a hint, illuminated the sheer granite wall, a quarter mile of vertical drama, a quarter mile of a canvas for God. As the light climbed higher, the gray drabness of the wall gave way to a deep, rich, velvet crimson. Now a golden-hued red. Now bordering on rose. Now a rich pink and now a soft golden yellow. And then it was gone. The painting surrendered to the brilliant light of a new day. The Alpen glow was gone. Only to return when God would once again pick up the divine palette and brush and paint the picture anew. But for a moment, God had drawn back the veil and the curtain and we yearned to stand upon the granite rocks and cheer and shout and yell, artist, artist, for God had illuminated our lives for one brief moment with beauty and wonder. We had seen the very hand of God at work. There are fleeting moments in life when we see with absolute clarity that was one. The moment may vanish, but the vision remains and the truth of it remains and the future of it remains. It's like when your daughter is seven years old and she's just learning to ski and she is poised up at the top of Smoky Bear Run in the southern New Mexico mountains and she says, ooh, daddy it's too steep and you, you called out words of encouragement while struggling to keep both your balance and your dignity while Your feet are planted onto six foot long by three foot boards on the slippery slope. And then she, she of the seven year old's initial words of fear and apprehension launches down the mountainside and whips fearlessly past you. And you have glimpsed for a moment the truth of life. Life that dares to dare, to fly, to laugh and giggle in the face of mortality. And you have seen a a glimpse of the future when one day she will say to you, come on dad, take my hand, the stairs are steep. There are times when we glimpse a truth greater than we can understand, more, more, a future more real than we can comprehend. It happened that time on the top of the mountains to the disciples. And they needed this moment. They were mesmerized, I tell you. There was Elijah, there was Moses, there was Jesus. Elijah and Moses symbolizing the prophets and the law, the law and the prophets. And Jesus symbolizing God's new word, a word of powerful love. Jesus was there transfused with light, his clothes all shiny, his face aglow. We call this moment the transfiguration. And there was in that moment a voice thundering from the clouds saying, this is my son, listen to him. And what was it they were listening to him say? This is what he said. Love one another as I have loved you, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And this was what he said. The greatest commandment is to love God. And the second, likewise, is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of Moses and the prophet's words symbolized by Elijah. It's interesting, on the top of the mountain it becomes clear that as important and as valuable as law and prophecy is, Jesus is the one who is left standing. They are not co-equal to his word of love. The transfiguration is a moment of preview, a preview of things to come. No matter the challenges, no matter the seeming defeats, no matter the Good Fridays yet to be experienced, there would always be resurrection. That's what this moment means. And they needed this moment, Peter, James, and John needed encouragement and inspiration. They had just heard Jesus say that he must suffer and die. They were headed to Jerusalem where he and they were persona non grata. Powerful forces would arise and stand against them. Real friends were few, powerful enemies were many and Peter himself would prove to be weak. In the daunting face of hard facts and challenging realities, this moment was intended to prepare, to instruct, to inspire, to encourage, and to reveal a promise for the future. Frankly, We in the church need these mountaintop experiences from time to time. We struggle with competing agendas. We gather in solemn assemblies as this past week and we poke our fingers into the air and we pollute the atmosphere with vitriol and we take a vote and we think the kingdom of God has come and we think we've laid down the law and spoken the prophetic word like Elijah. Truth be told, in solemn assemblies, it's sometimes hard to remember that we are but noisy gongs and clashing cymbals if our hearts and our tongues do not speak the word of Christ's love. It is the love of Christ that makes justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, not some computer-tabulated vote. On a personal level, we need the mountaintop experience too because truthfully, we feel like our lives are not our own. Political forces and events control us and we cannot control them. The opioid crisis does not seem to be able to be contained. The Brexit crisis in Great Britain will surely, surely affect us. What happens on the Korean Peninsula is out of our hands and what happens in Raleigh this week or next is surely a mystery. Forces shape a future we cannot control. And yet, and yet, and yet, as we stand on the mountain with Peter, James, John, and Jesus, God gives us a glimpse of our future. In spite of looming Good Fridays, there will be Easter. The painting is not yet finished. There is more, the future belongs to the brilliant light of God's love given in and through Jesus Christ. The love of God made manifest in Jesus cannot be defeated. The light has come in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. Transfiguration is God drawing back the curtain to show us a glimpse of a resurrection future. I thank God for communities and families of faith like this one. Hundreds of thousands of these places exist around the world, crossing denominational lines and national lines, and continental lines. It's in places like this where the gospel is proclaimed, where lives are transformed, where the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, the frightened are embraced, the fearful are encouraged, the sick are healed, the lonely are visited, the gift of life is celebrated, And all, all, all of God's children are beloved just as Jesus was beloved by God. This is where the love of God and the ministry of Christ transpires and is made real. This is where the canvas of God's redeeming love is painted. This is where the future promised by God comes to pass. God draws back the veil that in spite, that lets us see in spite of Good Fridays, there will always be Easter. Resurrection is coming. There is a greater reality than our petty divisions and our sinful smallness of spirit. In spite of actions that are denials of the love of Jesus, we like Peter can be redeemed. The moment on the mountaintop is God with us, God in our midst, God not distant and disinterested, but God present and involved. This is the promise of the transfiguring moment. The love of Christ, of which we speak so easily, really is not that mysterious. It's not that hard. It's not some psychological insight or erudite conclusion from some promising sociological study somewhere. This love of Christ is not revealed by some political party or cultural fad or even a religious sect someplace. It is personal. It's a personal experience that we can feel that can be real for us We experience it, we know it. How does the song put it? To love another person is to see the face of God. And the greatest gift of the mountaintop is the realization that Jesus is the heart of it all. That the love of Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. but we can't stay on the mountaintop. The disciples seemed to want to do just that. They built huts or wanted to build huts for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Just stay there, continue to feel good and fuzzy and kind of rosy all around. But that would confine Jesus to the top of a mountain. And we can't do that. we have to walk back down the mountain to the valley, but we go back not as we came. For there is a new reality of a world that is no longer defined by our failures and our mistakes and our prejudices and our sins. In spite of all the hate and tragedy and conflict in our world, this is not a world that is finally defined by a demon-possessed child. It is a world that is defined by the love of one whom God so loved that God sent him into the world to save the world, not to destroy it. It is a world defined by the resurrected Christ from whom demons flee. It is a world defined by love in which a child is made whole, by a risen Christ who will sustain us and encourage us and place a vision, a truth before us that calls us to serve and to be and do far more than we ever imagined. God is painting a picture of a world filled with the love of Christ and God's love cannot be buried. There is always